You're listening to a sermon series by Grace City Church, a church plant in Green Square in Sydney. For more information about us, visit gracecity.com.au. G'day, uh, I'm Charles. Let me add my welcome to you. It is fantastic to have you with us. Uh, Let me pray and ask for God's blessing on our time. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, uh, through whom you have spoken. Please give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to receive what you are saying to us today. Uh, Please change us, transform us, mould us uh, into the image of your son, uh, that we might be like him. Uh, We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, if you hadn't realised already, you would have realised as you walked into church today that Christmas is very nearly upon us. Uh, The trees are up and the lights are on. And in the traditional church calendar, the start of December also marks the beginning of the season known as Advent. Um, Advent is simply the Latin word for arrival, uh, because in the season of Advent, we remember and celebrate the arrival, uh, the Advent of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes as a baby at Christmas. Uh, This is actually where chocolate advent calendars come from. Um, You know those ones? uh, They start at the beginning of December and they count down the days until Christmas. Uh, And uh, each day you open up a little door and you get what is always seems to be like bad quality chocolate. (laughs) It never tastes good. I don't put the good stuff in. Well, today we are starting a new series for the season of Advent as we count down the weeks until Christmas. And this series is all about answering one simple question. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ? Because what, what Christmas really represents is the arrival, the, the advent of Israel's Christ, their Messiah. Uh, many of you will know that the word Christ is simply the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. Uh, Christ, Messiah, same word. And what both of these words mean is simply to anoint with oil. And so the Christ Messiah is the one who is anointed. And that very first Christmas marked the arrival of Israel's Christ, their Messiah, the anointed one. And so the question we're trying to ask is, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ? Well, back in the 1600s, there was a French reformer by the name of John Calvin. And he noticed that there were three kinds of people who were anointed in the Old Testament. Prophets priests and kings. Uh, And so John Calvin said, if you want to understand what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, you need to see that he is both a prophet and a priest as well as a king. Uh, This is how he puts it. He says, the title Christ pertains to these three offices. For we know that under the law, prophets as well as priests and kings were anointed with holy oil. Hence, the illustrious name of Messiah was also bestowed upon the promised mediator. Uh, But you might be wondering, what does it mean for Jesus to be a prophet, priest, and king? Uh, Well, I think Calvin gives us a little hint there at the end when he calls Jesus the promised mediator. Uh, A mediator is someone who goes between two parties, who mediates between them. Uh, And Calvin explains that there are three ways in which Jesus is our mediator. Uh, First, as a prophet, he communicates, he mediates the knowledge of God. Uh, He is uh, the revealer of God. He makes God known. 
But as a priest, he is our redeemer, our representative. Uh, He comes to stand in our place and make atonement for our sins. Um, See, as a prophet, he comes to represent God. But as a priest, he comes to represent us. Um, As a prophet, he speaks to us on behalf of God. But as a priest, he speaks to God on our behalf. He's our stand-in who dies in our place. He is our redeemer. So he's both a prophet and a priest, but he's also a king, a ruler. And he mediates God's rule over our lives. He is the supreme authority in our lives, and we owe him our allegiance. He is our Lord. And so there it is. Jesus is a prophet, a priest, and a king. He is our revealer, our redeemer, and our ruler. And so for the next three weeks, we are going to unpack each of these three aspects of what it means for Jesus to be the Christ. Uh, Today, we're going to think about Jesus as a prophet. But before we do that, I do want to say one more thing about the the importance of holding all three of these things together. Uh, See, if we miss one of these aspects of what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, then we actually end up with a distorted and ultimately a false understanding of who Jesus is. And if we have a distorted or even a false understanding of who Jesus is, then we really don't have a very good understanding of Christianity at all. Because after all, Christianity is all about Jesus. Have a look at how John Calvin explains it. He says, They who separate one office from the other rend Christ asunder. Uh, In other words, they tear him apart and subvert their own faith. See, it could be that you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Uh, And maybe you're a little resistant to the idea of becoming a Christian. Well, if what John Calvin says is right, then it's worth at least considering whether what you've been resistant to is, in fact, authentic biblical Christianity or a false distorted view of Christianity. Uh, Let me explain it like this. See, if Jesus is nothing more than a prophet who simply comes to reveal facts about God, then what does that make Christianity? Well, it turns Christianity into nothing more than a collection of abstract truths. Uh, And it turns Christian maturity into something that, uh, a question of how well you know and how well you believe those truths. Uh, But it leaves things feeling... um, Irrelevant and distant, because we've forgotten that Jesus is also a priest and a king. But if Jesus is nothing more than a priest, well, then he can forgive my sin uh, and he can reserve a place for me in heaven. But he has nothing to say to me now about how I live my life. Uh, Christianity becomes nothing more than glorified life insurance. Um, It's cheap grace. And what we've done there is we've forgotten that Jesus is also a prophet who speaks into my life, and a king who rules over my life. Or if Jesus is nothing more than a king, then we'll hear a lot about all the things we have to do, the ways we need to submit to his lordship, but it will feel like being hit over the head time and time again. Can you see how terrible it is to have Jesus as your king um, unless you also have him as your priest and your prophet? But that's not really who Jesus is, because he's not just a prophet, he's also your priest. And he's not just a priest, he's also your king. And so, John Calvin says, we need to hold these three 
together. Uh, But with that said, we are going to focus our time today on what it means for Jesus to be prophet. Uh, And to do that, I want to explore three things together. First, um, our need for God's prophet. Uh, Second, our rejection of God's prophet. And third, the beauty of God's prophet. Our need, rejection, and the beauty of God's prophet. Uh, To do this, we're going to spend most of our time in Deuteronomy 18 that Caden read for us before. We'll jump to a couple of other places as well. Um, Just by way of a bit of context on that passage, um, so we're in the book of Deuteronomy, which is essentially the last sermon that Moses preached to Israel before they entered into the promised land uh, and also before his own death. Uh, And so you can imagine Israel, they're feeling pretty nervous. Their leader is potentially days away from dying and they're about to enter into a new and an unknown context. And into that, uh, Moses tells them something that God told him. Uh, So we'll pick it up, Deuteronomy 18, verse 17. And Moses is telling the Israelites about something that God told him. He says, The Lord said to me, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, you Moses, uh, from among their fellow Israelites. And I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So God promises here to raise up a prophet who would be like Moses, uh, someone who would lead the people, um, who would deliver God's word to them. And in turn, they are to listen to this prophet. But I actually want to start one step back uh, by simply noticing the fact that God speaks. God speaks. Um, You see it there in verse 18 when God says, I will put my words in his mouth. Or in verse 19, he says, anyone who does not uh, listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Uh, Notice that these are not simply the words of a prophet. They are the words of God himself, uh, which is to say God is the one speaking. God speaks. But it's also worth saying that there are many people in our culture who would reject the idea that there is a God who speaks. Um, they, you know, they might say things like, well, what nonsense? You know, how childish to believe that there is a God out there who's going to speak to you. Uh, well, the philosopher Bertrand Russell, he was somebody who thought a bit like that. He literally wrote a book called Why I Am Not a Christian. Um, so there you go. Uh, and for Bertrand, um, he, he said, there is no voice out there. We are alone in this universe. We are the only speakers in a cold, hard universe of atoms. And for Bertrand, he says we simply just need to get used to this idea. Uh, He says this. uh, uh, This is chipper. Uh, He says, man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving. His origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. Uh, Then he says this, Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. According to Bertrand, there is nothing else out there. There is no voice. We are alone. And he says we can only start to move forward when we just get used to that idea. But at the same time, we're also desperately afraid 
that we're the only speakers in this universe, that there is nobody else to talk to. Uh, we're afraid that it is a silent universe. Um, we actually long for something to just talk back to us. You see, sometimes even the most hardened atheists are tempted to doubt their doubts. Sometimes they doubt their skepticism. Uh, sometimes they're tempted to believe. Uh, James K.A. Smith, he puts it like this. He says, The doubter's doubt is faith. His temptation is belief. And it is a temptation that has not been entirely quelled even in a secular age. Um, see, every now and then, there are moments that tempt the skeptic to believe that there is something more, uh, that there is another voice. Uh, for Leonard Bernstein, um, that was the moment when he listened to Beethoven. Um, I've been listening to a little bit more classical music lately. It's, it's quite relaxing. Uh, but Bernstein, he's, be, he's known as uh, America's greatest composer. Uh, he's well known for writing the music for West Side Story. He was also raised as a Jew, uh, but he later came to reject the Bible and the God behind it. Uh, but when he listened to Beethoven, he was tempted to believe in something more. Um, he says it like this. He says, our boy, Beethoven, has the real goods, the stuff from heaven, the power to make you feel at the finish. Something is right in the world. There is something that checks throughout, that follows its own law consistently, something we can trust that will never let us down. Now, for Bernstein, it was Beethoven. Uh, but if you're here and you're a skeptic, let me ask you, what are those moments where you are tempted to believe that there is something more, that there is another voice, uh, someone speaking a word to us. Uh, it might be moments of great beauty, moments that just take your breath away and you think, wow, th there has to be something more. Or maybe it's moments of heartbreak where you desperately want there to be another voice saying something to you, reminding you that you are not alone. Well, the Bible says that the reason you so desperately want there to be another voice is because there is another voice. And in Deuteronomy 18, we meet the God who says, I have words for you. He speaks. He is not silent. We aren't alone. But that leads us to the question of how. How does this God speak to us? And the answer given to us in Deuteronomy 18 is that God speaks through prophets. But we aren't just told that God speaks through prophets. We're also told why. Uh, and we see it there in verses 15 to 17. Moses says this. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For... This is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire any more, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. Now, there's a little bit going on there, uh, but the first thing to know is that Moses is actually talking about the moment when God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel on Mount Horeb, uh, which is another name for Mount Sinai. And if you go back to Exodus chapter 20, which is where we find the Ten Commandments, um, the very next thing that happens after they receive the commandments 
is that the Israelites say what Moses repeats for us here in verse 16. He says, they say, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. Now the Lord said to me, what they say is good. And the reason they say this is because when God speaks the Ten Commandments, there is so much fire and thunder and lightning that they think they're going to die. Uh, It's an absolute sensory overload. They can't handle it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen someone put too much um, hot chili sauce on a meal. Um, uh, Maybe you've done it yourself. Uh, I'm a big fan of hot chili sauces. But when you put too much on, when you get too much, it is a sensory overload. Um, you know, you start to sweat, your vision starts to blur, and you just, you can't think about anything else except this chili. (laughs) And when God speaks the Ten Commandments to Israel, their senses overload to the point where they think they're going to die. And so what do they do? Well, they ask Moses to go and speak to God on their behalf. They ask Moses to be their prophet. Uh, John Calvin, he actually makes the point that even if Adam had never sinned in the garden, even if we were sinless, we would still need a mediator to go between us, simply because God is just too much for us. Um, He says this, he says, uh, even if man had remained free from all stain, his condition would have been too lowly for him to reach God without a mediator. Uh, And his point is this, that God speaking to us is like you or I trying to shake hands with an ant. Um, It doesn't work. The proportions are off. We can't handle it. I don't know, every time uh, God appears to someone in the Bible, they fall down on their face and they think they're going to die. And so the solution, as we just saw, is for God to speak through a prophet. We need a prophet. But that leads us to the question of what a prophet actually is. What is a prophet? Because when most of us uh, think of a prophet, um, you know, many of us probably imagine someone who predicts the future, a future teller. Uh, It's how most dictionaries define what a prophecy is. It's a prediction of the future. Uh, But that's not actually how the Bible talks about prophets and prophecies. If we actually pay closer attention to the Bible, then we'll see that a prophet is actually far more than just a future teller. Um, According to the Bible, a prophet is simply a mouthpiece for God, regardless of whether it has anything to do with the future or not, which sometimes it does. Uh, They are somebody who says what God says, uh, someone who speaks on God's behalf. Uh, And I think the place that shows us this most clearly Um, is actually back at the start of Exodus chapter 7. So context for this passage, uh, God has told Moses, go and tell Pharaoh to release my people uh, from slavery in Egypt. But Moses responds by telling God, he says, God, I'm not very good at public speaking. Um, He literally tells God that he has faltering lips. And so God responds by saying this, uh, Exodus 7.1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. 
Uh, did you notice that? Uh, Aaron is described as being a prophet for Moses. Uh, and what he's doing is functioning as a mouthpiece for Moses, which I think gives us an insight into the, how the Bible defines what a prophet is. A prophet is a mouthpiece. Um, and this is an important point because the biblical prophets, they don't simply give us an interpretation of what God says. They literally say what God says. They give us the word of God. Uh, we saw this in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 18, where God says he will put his words in the prophet's mouth. Uh, we also see it in 2 Peter chapter 1. So New Testament, Peter says this. He says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, you see, this is the difference between a critic interpreting a piece of art and the artist telling you the meaning for themselves. Uh, see, a critic gives you an interpretation. They try to pick up different clues. They try to make an educated guess about the meaning of you know, the art or whatever. Uh, and inevitably, different critics will give you different interpretations. But when the artist turns up and they tell you the meaning behind the art they created, well, it's no longer an interpretation. You have now received truth directly. And that's what the prophets of the Bible do. They give a direct communication of God's word to his people. Uh, that is our need for God's prophet. Uh, we need God's prophet. But now I want to spend a moment exploring our rejection of God's prophet. See, uh, throughout the Old Testament, one of the big problems was the rise of false prophets. Uh, which is presumably why Moses includes these instructions about how to work out whether a prophet is genuine or not. Um, that's the second half of our passage. He says this. He says, A prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. And you may say to yourselves, How can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. Now, if you're anything like me, uh, you're pr probably wondering what on earth we are meant to do with these verses. Um, es you know, essentially, they lay out the criteria for testing a false prophet. Uh, and for a while, I had absolutely no clue um, how these verses were relevant to my life. Uh, I've never had somebody who claimed to be a prophet speak a direct word from God over my life. Um, it could be that somebody has uh, claimed to speak a direct word of God over your life, um, which raises the question of how prophecy works today, which is also something that we just don't quite have the space to uh, explore together today. So we'll leave that for another time, other than for me to say that um, I'd be a little bit skeptical especially when it involves somebody who travels around and also charges money uh, for prophecies, um, which you know, I've heard people do. But here's the point. Even if somebody had genuinely spoken a prophetic word over your life, then at best, 
these verses are rarely ever relevant for your life. Uh, My point is simply that these verses don't seem all that relevant, um, regardless of our own personal experiences. That is, of course, until we remember that Satan, the devil, is described as being the false prophet. Uh, He's called the false prophet three times in the book of Revelation. That's uh, chapters 16, 19, and 20. And by calling him the false prophet, I think the book of Revelation is making the point that every false prophecy can ultimately be traced back to Satan, the devil. Uh, And I think you actually get a hint of Satan's false prophecies in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what the serpent said to Eve in Genesis 3? You shall not surely die when you eat the fruit of the tree, which is really a kind of false prophecy, because after all, they did die. You see, Satan spoke a word that wasn't from the Lord. He's a false prophet, which means that one way of explaining sin is as the belief in a false prophecy. Uh, In other words, Satan spoke a message into our world that wasn't from the Lord, and we believed him. We rejected God's prophet and listened to a false one. Uh, And the content of that false prophecy is that the more I pursue my own desires, the better my life will get. See, if you actually, if you go through the whole Old Testament and you look at all the different passages that talk about false prophets, um, it becomes pretty clear that they all basically had the same message. Um, A couple of passages to chase up. uh, 1 Kings 22, Jeremiah 28, Ezekiel 13. And in each of these passages, uh, the different false prophets, um, they basically encourage people to follow your own heart, pursue your desires, and if you do that, then God will bless you which is really just a variation on what Satan said to Eve back in the garden. uh, He said, take the fruit, eat it, and you'll become like God, knowing good and evil, you won't die. Uh, It's a message that says, pursue your own desires, and the more you do that, the better your life will get. Uh, It's worth saying, though, that I think for most of us, we're probably not going to meet a literal false prophet like the ones described in the Old Testament, at least not very often. But we are going to face a whole bunch of daily temptations. And each of those temptations will make a little promise, uh, in a sense, a little prophecy, that if only we had the thing that we longed for, then we would be happy. Um, If only we had that person, that relationship, that job, that opportunity, that status, whatever it is, if we had that, then we'd be happy and we'd be satisfied. Uh, In a sense, we are living in a world of false prophecies. And they're essentially saying the same thing as all all the false prophets of the Old Testament, that the more we pursue our own desires, the better our lives will get. At Grace City, learn to recognize that voice. Um, It is the voice of the false prophet. And here's the problem with false prophecy. It doesn't correspond to reality. It isn't true. It doesn't deliver. Uh, Remember what Moses says in verse 22. He says, If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. 
Uh, and I think Moses is talking about more than simply whether a prediction about the future proves to be accurate. I think what Moses is saying is that a false prophecy, a message that isn't from the Lord, doesn't correspond to reality. It's not true. It doesn't take place. Uh, it's empty. But if Satan is the false prophet, then who is the true prophet? Uh, the true prophet who stands behind every true prophecy, the prophet like Moses. Uh, well, we know by, still by the time of the New Testament first century, uh, the Jews were still waiting for this prophet like Moses. Uh, we see that in John one twenty one. So religious leaders, they come to John the Baptist, the predecessor of Jesus, and they ask him this. They say, are you the prophet? He answered, no. And when they ask him if he is the prophet, they're asking if he's the prophet like Moses. And he says, no. See, although John is a prophet, he's not the prophet. But what he does do is he points forward to the one who is. And here's where we get to the beauty of God's prophet. Now, it's no real secret that Jesus is the prophet. I mean, we've said that already. But what's interesting is that Jesus is never explicitly called the prophet like Moses. Um, he's actually only very occasionally called a prophet at all. So what makes Jesus this prophet like Moses? Well, at one level, we can say that he is a prophet because he is anointed by the Spirit to proclaim good news. Uh, we see that Luke 4.18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then only a little later in that passage, Jesus talks about himself as being a prophet. Uh, he says, Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Uh, he's talking about himself. But again, it's worth asking, what makes Jesus not just a prophet, but the prophet? Well, it's important to remember that sometimes the Bible doesn't tell us things explicitly. Sometimes it shows us things instead. And that's exactly what we, ha uh, what we see in the transfiguration of Jesus in Luke chapter 9. So what we're told is Jesus, he gets three of his disciples and he goes up on a mountain to pray. And while they're up there, two more men appeared with them, Moses and Elijah. Uh, Moses, we've met before, um, he is the first and the greatest prophet of Israel. Uh, but if Moses is the greatest prophet of Israel, then Elijah would be the second. Uh, and so together, these two men represent the two great prophets of Israel. And so Jesus is there with Moses and Elijah, the two great prophets, and then this happens. While he, Jesus, was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. Now, do you remember uh, those words, listen to him? They come from Deuteronomy chapter 18, when Moses says this. Um, 
He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And when Luke says, uh, this voice said, listen to Jesus, he's saying, this is the prophet. Can you see what Luke's doing? He is showing us that Jesus is the prophet like Moses rather than simply telling us. And what he's showing us is that Jesus is a greater prophet than even Moses. Uh, in fact, he tells, uh, God tells Moses, listen to Jesus, uh, listen to him. And the reason Jesus is so much greater is because he doesn't just bring the truth, he is the truth. Uh, John fourteen six, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Uh, can you see he doesn't just speak the word of God, he is the word of God. He doesn't just bring an inspired word from God, he is the incarnate word of God. He's not just a prophet. He is God in the flesh, God with us. Um, this is why the author of Hebrews starts the book uh, the way he does. He says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. And the reason why Jesus can reveal God so perfectly, the reason why he is the great prophet, is because the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He is God in the flesh. But just as I close, let, uh, I want to draw your attention to one more detail in Deuteronomy 18. Uh, God says this, he says, I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. At Grace City, your relationship to Jesus defines everything. So let me ask you, is he your prophet? Uh, do you listen to him? Do you submit to his word in your life? Or are you listening to the voice of the false prophet, Satan, and the lies that he tells? Uh, only Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And if you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, let me invite you to make Jesus your prophet. Uh, but not only your prophet, but also your priest and your king. Uh, why not do that today? Um, or if you're not ready for that, uh, why not join Explore next time it's running? Uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your son um, who speaks your word and um, who reveals you. Uh, thank you that he is our great prophet. Uh, please be at work in us. Give us ears to hear. Uh, let us listen to his word in our life. Uh, we pray it in his name. Amen.